This is Optimal Startup Daily, episode 532. How many hours do you have to work to feel productive? And pursue metrics that matter. Both by Cal Newport of calnewport.com. And I'm Dan, welcome back to Optimal Startup Daily or welcome for the first time if you're new here. Today I'm gonna feature not one, but two posts from the very popular writer, Cal Newport. So with that, I'm gonna get right to those posts as we start optimizing your life. How many hours do you have to work to feel productive? By Cal Newport of calnewport.com. Time wasters. The academic productivity blog recently asked the following question. What are your one or two biggest wastes of time? The question was aimed at graduate students and professors, a group who loves to obsess over these issues. The initial responses were what you might expect. Web surfing, email, blog reading, etc. The commenter's suggestions for solving these problems centered on tools like Rescue Time, a fancy timer for figuring out how you spend your time, and Leech Block, a Firefox plugin that prevents you from visiting time-wasting websites. An important assumption, however, lurks behind this self-flagellation. You should be working most of the day, so anything that eats up a significant amount of time without producing useful results is therefore a quote-unquote waste. But is this true? Tipped by the excellent Casting Out Nines blog, I recently explored the website of UCLA professor Terence Tao, a Fields Medal winner and arguably the world's most talented mathematician. Terence recently wrote an article about his time management habits, and here's what caught my attention. Quote, Another thing is that my ability to do any serious mathematics fluctuates greatly from day to day. Sometimes I can think hard on a problem for an hour, Other times I feel ready to type up the full details of a sketch that I or my co-authors already wrote. And other times, I only feel qualified to respond to email and do errands, or just to take a walk, or even a nap. End quote. Terence's view on being productive differs from the junior academics responding on academic productivity. Terence is happy if some days he gets in an hour or two of hard thinking, or, as he specifies later, a few hours working on a paper write-up he also expects that some days he'll do nothing. And he has a freaking Fields Medal. Last week, writer Matt Wood addressed this same topic on a guest post on 43 folders. Matt recalled how recently, quote, I stripped my daily routine down to the bare bones. I wasn't happy with my word count, and I blamed it on the internet, end quote. Here's the rub. After a week or two, Matt's ideas ran out. He finally concluded, quote, my creative beast is restless and hungry, and I've learned that if I starve it by arbitrarily limiting its routine, it's not happy, end quote. In other words, for Matt, being a good writer did not mean working in monastic silence for eight hours a day. Wasting a few hours surfing blogs was a key part of his routine. This is similar to Terence Tao and his need to do his math in short, intense blasts separated by hours, if not days, of what we might call goofing off. Did I mention that he won a Fields Medal? Now let's reconsider the responses on academic productivity in light of these two anecdotes. The responders to the AP post were upset by the time they spent not quote-unquote working. They were willing to resort to elaborate software that would force them to work. But this all rests on the assumption that a productive person is one who works for many hours every day. Certainly this is required in some situations, such as a grad student running an experiment. But is it always true? As demonstrated by Matt and Terence, there's no reason to expect this to be so. Perhaps an hour or two of focused work on some days, ignoring for now the normal administrative sludge, would prove sufficient. Perhaps not, but the key is that the answer is not obvious. 
Everyone's situation is quite different, but I guess the conclusion I'm stumbling toward here is the following. Before trying to improve your productivity, first ask yourself, how many hours of work do you need to spend to be good at what you do? When we avoid seriously contemplating this question, we end up acting as if the answer is every hour that's available. This can lead to self-loathing and frustration. So ask yourself this question. Think very carefully about the answer. Then the next time you feel guilty about spending a morning blog surfing, imagine Terence Tao lounging lazily in his chair, closing his eyes for a nap, a relaxed smile on his face, and a Fields medal glowing brightly in the background. Pursue Metrics That Matter by Cal Newport of calnewport.com. Three measures of success. I've been thinking recently about the metrics we use to measure success when pursuing self-motivated ambitions. These metrics tend to fall into three major categories, which I'll list from easiest to hardest to achieve. One, participation metrics. The goal here is to simply invest regular time toward the ambition. For example, if you want to become a writer, this might involve creating a daily writing ritual. Two, unconventional custom metrics. The goal here is now clarified to specify concrete outcomes, but these outcomes tend to be custom-built and not widely recognized as marks of success in the field. Returning to our writer example, a custom path to success might steer towards self-publishing, with much of your focus now directed on mastering the technical mechanics of Scribner, KDP, freelance cover designs, and well-paced email marketing campaigns. And three, conventional competitive metrics. The goal here is to achieve outcomes that are widely recognized as impressive. In our writer example, this might be a big book deal with a major publisher. The power of competition. When it comes to the three categories previously mentioned, I think the first category is reasonable for dabbling with a topic, but it won't take you much farther than that, so you shouldn't be satisfied with this measure of success for too long. The second category is more worrisome. These unconventional metrics are insidious because they provide enough illusion of accomplishment to keep hijacking your limited energy, but ultimately they rarely provide much return. The reason they deliver so little is that they're usually designed to avoid competition checkpoints, steps in the process where many aspirants enter, but only a much smaller number win the ability to continue. This might sound nice, but such checkpoints are crucial for advancement in many ambitions, It's these competitive clashes that force you to hear someone say, this is not good, and therefore find the motivation to return to the woodshed for more of the inevitable hard practice, driven to produce a different outcome. The final point is why I like the third type of metric. Pursuing highly competitive and unambiguous definitions of success for a given ambition, if you persist, will force you to improve your skills at a rapid and sustained rate. This process can be ego-crushing at times as I know from many personal experiences in writing and academia, and in the moment it's much less satisfying than implementing some hyper-specific life hacks, but it's this scramble to win a limited resource that forges professional talent. So this is my simple observation. When deciding to embrace a self-motivated ambition, choose a definition of success that your aunt in Peoria would understand and find impressive. This is not about succumbing to the status quo, but instead setting yourself up to receive the brutal but useful feedback needed to eventually start producing things too good to be ignored. You just listened to the posts titled, How Many Hours Do You Have to Work to Feel Productive? and Pursue Metrics That Matter, both by Cal Newport of calnewport.com. When it comes to hiring, 
Don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. And one of the things I really love about Indeed is that it filters out those incompatible applicants. So when you're hiring, the process is much faster and you only have to consider applicants that are already likely to be a great fit. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com startup. So just go to indeed.com startup right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash startup. Terms and conditions apply. And a big thanks to Cal, who typically writes about learning hacks and productivity. So you're gonna hear him narrated pretty frequently over on Optimal Living Daily. So you can check out that show for a lot more from him. Cal is the author of the book, Deep Work and A World Without Email. So you can check out his blogs, books, other media, and podcasts over on his site, calnewport.com. Again, that is calnewport.com. But that's gonna do it for today. Hope you have a great one. And I'll be back here reading to you tomorrow where your optimal life awaits.